Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It's my pleasure to welcome Melanie Mack, gaming host and content creator. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so you and I met recently. Mm Mm-hmm. And through our good friend, Alex Rodriguez, who's awesome. He's a gamer. He's a broadcaster himself. He's the best. And I didn't realize that I didn't know you, but I knew who you were. Right. Because I used to work at GameStop at the headquarters. And you have been a host for GSTV for a number of years. Yeah, almost four-ish years now. Yeah. It's it's been exciting. Yeah, so it's super fun because Alex is like, yeah, John's from GameStop. And you said... (laughs) Yeah, I was at GameStop too. I was like, what? And I didn't realize you meant in 3,700 stores across the right. country every day. Yeah. So I would love to explore that. But first, I think what's so cool is what you do for a living, mm-hmm. content creator in gaming. Basically, every kid in school is, when they're asked, what do you want to do? They say, I want to be a streamer. I want to be a YouTuber. Mm-hmm. And you've lived this life. You've built it for yourself. You've been doing it for... 11 years. 11 A years. long time now. So take me back and help me understand first, you know, that 11 years ago, not everybody wanted to be one yet. Yeah, a YouTuber. It, it was different. Like YouTubers didn't make money back then. And it wasn't, you never thought that like, okay, this can be a career just playing games on camera or anything like that. So it's kind of something that I fell into because... I was inspired by like Jessica Chobot, for example, from IGN, who did hosting yeah. the Frag Dolls, which were like an all girl gaming team that worked for Ubisoft. And I looked to them for inspiration and I wanted in the gaming industry at that capacity. Mm-hmm. But and, and, you know, I got started with like the Frag Dolls with their cadet program as like an internship and stuff like that. And that's how I got my foot in the door. But those were my inspirations. And it turned into what I do now, which is like streaming. I do hosting stuff and and making videos on YouTube and being that content creator. And yeah. and so it's interesting how that worked out. I really walked into it right at its infancy. That's cool. So being a gamer, when was when did video games really take hold of you? Did you say, boy, I want to figure out how to play games for a living for the rest of my life? What age was well, that? Well, I've been a gamer my entire life. I just grew up around that with my dad and my brothers and we always just game together and stuff. And when it really, I never really thought of it as, Hey, there's a career in this field until I saw like Jessica Chobot at IGN. And I was like, yeah, wow, I want to be her. (laughs) She's awesome. It's possible, right? Yeah. I was like, wow. So there, you can actually like get cool jobs in this, in this field and, and something I'm so passionate about with gaming. So she really was my biggest inspiration and what made me realize that, hey, there could be a career in this and this is something I want to try for. That's cool. And then so with the Frag Dolls and Ubisoft, so that sounds like that was your first opportunity where you actually yeah. started doing some stuff. What age was that? Oh, gosh. Well, I remember I first applied when I was like 19 or something like that. Like I'm 34 now for reference. Uh-huh. And back then I, I bombed it, man. Like I was so shy and, and, you know, I grew up in a military family. I was homeschooled, moved all the time. And yeah. so I didn't always have a lot of friends everywhere. And so I grew up very shy, very introverted. Mm-hmm. And 
So just trying to come out of my shell was the biggest obstacle for me. And so with the Frag Dolls and when I applied to be on the team back then, I made it to the phone interviews and I just choked. I was so starstruck to even be talking to, to the captain of the team and also just like you know, hey, wow, I could possibly get this. And I, uh, I'm freaking out. And I, and I was just so shy and had such a hard time even talking to her that I did not progress any further than that. And then and then later, years later, I think I was like 22 or 23 when I actually got the position as like a an intern with them. So I worked on learning how to come out of my shell more. After that experience of being so shy, I was like, man, if I really want to do this and I really want to get in this industry, I'm going to have to figure this out. I'm going to have to figure out how to be less awkward and less shy and just to be able to bring it. And especially imagining with cameras on you, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I spent time practicing. And that's even why I started my YouTube channel in the first place is I was like, hey, if I if I ever want any hope of being able to get this kind of job, I need to be able to be comfortable on camera. Well, so, yeah. Let me just practice with these little vloggy type stuff. And I did that. And well, helped. that was my ne- yeah, that was my next question, because, you know, that's super cool. Number one, I could see a lot of people who, oh, my gosh, I tried this thing. It was my dream. I choked. I'm so embarrassed mm-hmm. or I can't do this. I'm going to go into a hole somewhere. Right. Right. But it sounds like you persevered and you really had this goal and you said, no, I'm not going to let my shyness or being a natural introvert hold me back. Yeah. I'm going to do what it takes to get out of my shell. Mm -hmm. That's super cool. So you got on, you started your own YouTube channel. Yeah. And was it just by being on camera and talking to a camera that you naturally opened up or did other things help you with that? Uh, I think ultimately what it was just sheer determination and it was practicing and getting comments and learning how to navigate because I think part of just being shy in general is you're worried about what other people are thinking about you and yeah. what their impression is. And then once you, you, you're you on YouTube, for example, then you're getting that feedback. You're getting people who are very... <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, they're behind yeah. their computers. They're not afraid to say anything. So I think having experience, okay, I see what it's like to have people not like me, just to have people be mean to me for no reason. And did I die? No, I'm here. I'm okay. And so I think just learning to let that roll off your back and not yeah. to take things too personally and just to be okay with it and to realize that there's people who are cheering you on as well and who are who are very kind as well. And so, yeah, it was just like, it, it was determination. I wanted it really bad and I wanted to, to get into this field and I knew that I had to toughen up to be able to do it. Wow. And I think at the end of the day with this field or, or any like dream job type thing is... There are, you have some natural talents, definitely, but natural talent won't get you anywhere without the effort. And Mm. so there are people who are doing it. Like, I feel like I'm a testament to this. I'm not a natural talent. I had to get there through effort and through work and through practice. And to me, it's just like that. That is the most important thing is for anybody else who's trying to get into this. Are you willing to put in the effort? Are you willing to acknowledge your shortcomings as well because if you just think that yeah. that you're entitled to it you're still not going to get it because you have to be able to say hey this is my weakness and I need to fix it you know yeah that's that's super inspiring because I think it makes it more attainable yeah like for me you know my background was primarily in skateboarding and I see some dudes who it's like 
they're so naturally talented. I mm-hmm. couldn't do that if I tried. Of course, you're a star, right? Or <laughs> right. of course, you're in this significant place in the industry. But when you say, no, this can be figured out. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you're shy or it doesn't matter if you haven't done this before. If you put in the work, these are things that you can attain. That's really yeah. remarkable. And I've seen through even the Fragdoll Cadet program, that internship program, like a lot of girls that that I was with in that. I've seen many of them who were in a similar situation as me where they they had to get out of their comfort zones and some of them doing really big things like Jessica Brohard, who hosts for like COD esports and things like that. And so a lot of them have gone off to get jobs either at like gaming companies or move on as like hosts and things similar to like what I do as well. And it's amazing how it's inspiring to see how a group of girls and we were all together. Well, most of us had little to no experience at all. We were shy and how we just came out of our shells and worked hard and got places. That's super cool. So with the Frag Dolls and Ubisoft, so did they create this solely to enable females in gaming or what was specifically behind that? Because I want right. to talk a little bit about women in gaming. Mm-hmm. Obviously, sometimes it's toxic or yeah. there's a lot of questions around why isn't this closer to 50-50, right? Right. But what was what was kind of behind that initiative with the Fragdolls? I feel like at the time, especially back then, I think they founded in like 2004, there were hardly any women in the gaming space at that capacity. Yeah. And so it definitely was way more rare than, than it is now. And so, you know, I wasn't with them at the time that they were founded or anything, so I can't totally speak on them, but... From my impression is I do feel like, especially once the cadet program opened up in 2000, late 2009, I believe is when they started that. That definitely was an initiative to try to get more women in the industry because not every frag doll cadet can move on to be a full time frag doll. And they were fully aware of that, but they used that to help propel and get other women's foot in the door. And like I said earlier, there was some big payoff with that because a lot of the girls who were in the program moved on to big things. So, yeah, well, definitely. Do they still have that program going on? or Unfortunately, it- no. The Fragdolls disbanded in, I want to say, 2015. Okay. And it's sad because I just know my experiences with them. You know, there's ups and downs with everything and nothing's perfect. But ultimately, I I don't think that I would be where I am now if it wasn't for them. And mm. And they inspired me and I've grown so much because of that and and that helped push me and yeah. so I do wish that they still existed so that they could help other women out there who want to do the same thing yeah you know we we hear a lot in the industry there's a big push I think it's good that mm-hmm. people are questioning okay why aren't women more involved and how can we get women more involved you kind of being more of an insider in the industry and obviously you know sometimes that's around esports obviously mm-hmm. content creating is broader you know goes into more non-competitive gaming as well but do you see anything that you think would help get more women into gaming and esports that right. our industry can do? I do think that these female spaces help. And I know that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all gamers and we and a lot of us girls still feel comfortable and happy gaming with guys and stuff like that, too. Yeah. But there is just something about an all-female space that does feel comfortable and safe. And I think for me, you know, I know when I was my involvement with the frag dolls and stuff like I it it was definitely more comfortable for me to get my foot in the door in an industry that I was brand new to working in 
Yeah. When I had like-minded women around me and as opposed to just jumping into a predominantly male space would have been Mm -hmm. a lot more intimidating for sure. And so I think that having that, uh, those female groups in spaces definitely would help a lot more girls feel comfortable. And I know years ago I started an all female overwatch team thing and called the death blossoms. I told you about this before. The coolest name ever. Yeah. yeah, So it was just like, I wanted a group of of girls to play with me and my friend, Michelle, who also was a frag doll with me uh, in the past. We just started together and just like that, we had over 200 girls like that made it in and then a bunch more that applied that we were just trying to filter through and game together. They still game together. They still play Overwatch together. And it was just seeing their feedback and and hearing them say, you know, we're not always comfortable talking on comms in the game in general, but this is a nice space where we actually feel comfortable and they hold their own own tournaments. Some of them felt more comfortable after being in this space to move on to other things and to move on to trying to to be more in a co-ed atmosphere as well. But I think just that that entry point, man, feeling like you have like that safe place is important. That's a good point. I've, I've thought back and forth about specifically with esports and competition. You say, okay, well, don't necessarily need to divide men and women, right? Number one, but if you have men and women together, there's fewer spots for women mm-hmm. because yeah. there's just fewer spots in general. Exactly. And so that's a good point of maybe you provide the opportunity to to play with men because it's. Mm-hmm. Not one better than the other. For sure. But that entry point is really interesting. I never thought about that of gaining the comfort, mm-hmm. being around like-minded people, people who can relate to each other before you go into situations where it's not always the yeah. most inviting for a variety of reasons. And that's the thing say. is, I, I, you know, I in general don't like segregation or whatever, but sometimes yeah. I think I think that helps as an entry point, you know? Because yeah. now that I've done that and then I've I've had plenty of opportunities where I'm in, you know, now I don't do just female segregated things now, you know, I'm, I'm mingled with everybody. And I think just having that just at first to be comfortable with and to help me grow and come out of my shell. And I think for a lot of women in general, I mean, there's some who are fine just diving right in and great for them. And we need, we need that as well. Those mixed and and co-ed opportunities, but still just having that entry point for girls who just might feel a little more comfortable, I think is important. Yeah, there's a lot of power in vision, too, I think, with just being able to see that somebody who looks like you, who has your experience, has done it. Right. Because then you know it's possible. Mm-hmm. When I was I'm the chairman of the Esports Trade Association, and so this year we were building the board, and I, I thought it was very important to have both diverse experiences, but also diverse representation, mm-hmm. men, women, different ethnicities, etc., and what was so disappointing to me was being so purposeful on trying to be diverse. Right. It was so hard to find qualified yeah. people for this role. And mm-hmm. it, it showed me that you really need to, I think, highlight minorities and diversity who are doing it now. Right. So younger people can see it. Yeah. And then when people are still young, give them the opportunities to build those skills Mm-hmm. So when they get to that age, that experience level, then you're able to take advantage right. of something like that. So yeah, I'm. It's still so new in our space. I I'm always looking for people to share their insights. Like, hey, this is how I've seen it done well, and this is mm-hmm. how I've seen it done well, so that we can kind of pull the best ideas together um, and find solutions. Yeah, I agree. 
So, okay, frag dolls. Then when did you go? Where did you go from there? After my experience with the frag dolls, I worked at Razor for a year, gaming peripherals, as you know. And Very well. <laughs> I, I did PR with them. And it was just like an entry level PR position, wrote press releases. And then I actually worked with like influencers and stuff like that, giving them the gear and stuff to review. So it's cool. funny. I was on the opposite side there for a bit. And it was fun. I mean, I, I made a lot of good friends there and and I feel like I grew a lot just learning about the industry and how it works and seeing it on uh, the thing that I think is cool for me that I, I'm happy that I have got to experience the industry not only as what I do now as more of like a creator and influencer, but I've got to experience the other side of of doing more behind the scenes type stuff and and that yeah. kind of thing. So I did that for about a year. And then the frag dolls wanted me on the team full time, like, cause before I was like an intern. So, yeah. so then I moved on to that and did that for about a year. And then after that, I was able to just completely go and do my own thing. And my own stuff took off enough to where I could focus on that. That's incredible. So do you, it sounds like you feel like being on that PR side, that business side, working with influencers and content creators that helped you Mm-hmm. be a better influencing content creator yourself? Absolutely. Because then so much of, of what I do, I'm working with people in PR from all kinds of different companies. And yeah. I know what they're going through. I know what they want to see from me. And I know yeah. what they want me to deliver. And I know the hard work that they're putting into this and, and that they're believing in me, man. So mm-hmm. uh, I think having been on that other side, it definitely helps me, especially with like sponsors and things like that. I know what they're looking for and I'm able to to deliver on that. Absolutely. I can relate to my skateboarding when I, I was good at skateboarding, but I wasn't the best in the world. Mm-hmm. But I think I accomplished a lot more in my sponsorship because I understood sponsorship. Yep. I understood that, you know, you don't get free stuff or get paid just because you're cool. Mm-hmm. It's because they make more money than if they don't work with you or they work with somebody else. Right. And so the fact that I was always wearing the gear or always handing out stickers or always mm-hmm. promoting it. I remember I skied for Globe Shoes at one time and the rep who was giving me shoes, he, he dropped everybody else off off the team except me and one other guy. Mm-hmm. Like, man, some people just think they're cool and they're owed shoes, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so I th- that's great for, to hear that as well from you that, you know, hey, this is probably a a drop for the the audience is like, if you understand why the people who are paying you mm-hmm. are paying you, if you understand what the audience is seeking, what they're getting out, out of you, that'll help you better structure the way you present yourself, being easy to work with. So important. So important. And take it serious, man. Because like this, this is a brand that you're reflecting them when they sponsor you. Like they're putting their name, they're attaching their name to you. And so- yeah. It's important to respect that, you know, respect that meet deadlines, be professional and and do what they what they want, what they ask, you know, instead of just it's not just like they're not just throwing money at people, man. Like this is the, this yeah. is a big deal. And and the more professional that you handle it and the 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 more you respect them, you know, the, the more they're going to want to keep working with you. Right. So you also mentioned so you said, OK, shortly after that, it started to kick off and you were able to focus on content creation full time. Mm-hmm. So was there one thing or or a number of steps that led to that where you were able to kind of blossom? I think for me it was it was just steady growth 
It was mm-hmm. just my my stuff was growing. And then I started uh, the big thing was I started getting sponsors. And that was yeah. when I was like, OK, I'm not just relying on ad revenue or viewer support. Having sponsors come in periodically uh, uh-huh. ultimately is what pays the bills. So right. once I started getting consistent sponsor work, then I was mm. like, OK, you know what? I can do this. Yeah, I think it's so important that there's rarely a big break. Mm -hmm. There's breakthroughs, which might be, okay, I did this thing and finally it resulted in this thing. But everybody I've ever talked to in my own personal experience, it's not like, oh, you do one thing or you haven't been doing anything and someone discovers you. Right. No, you've been grinding, grinding, grinding. And it's the many steps that result into one, not just one big leap. Yep, absolutely. That's it. And would you also say that getting... One sponsor results in more sponsors, meaning like the first one is the hardest or the first couple are the hardest. Yeah, I feel like the first couple or so are definitely the hardest. But if you do them, especially do them well and they're happy with you, then the agency that worked with that sponsor can funnel in other sponsors for you. And then other agencies or other sponsor potential sponsors can see your campaign that you did and think, wow, this was great. I want to work with her, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely helps. The more sponsor work you get, then the more that you can get coming in as well. So what kind of advice would you give to people who they're they're grinding, they're trying to get it going, they don't have that first sponsor yet? What, what did you find helpful or, or you think in this age would be helpful to get on notice with a brand mm-hmm. or an agency to get that first chance? I think for me, partially, I was lucky that I started so early. Now things are so much more competitive than ever, and it's yeah. only going to keep getting more. So I think now it helps if you have some kind of agency to work with, but you just have to be very, very careful because there are so many predatory contracts out there for influencers and especially new young influencers that don't know what they're doing and they're signing these contracts that are ripping them off. And so you have to be careful. So kind of like dabble in agencies, try to find some that are like, hey, we want to work with you. We'll bring you work and we're going to take this amount of percent, you know, and that's it. Like no, no tying you down with with any crazy demands or exclusivities or anything like that. And I think that's the best way if you can find an opportunity like that for sure. Otherwise, just keep just focusing on growing because the more that you keep growing, the more you're going to get noticed. So what are those um, steps or actions people can take to make, to grow? I know consistency mm-hmm. is really big, right? Like yeah. when you say, you know, focus on your growth, what should people specifically be doing if they want to mm-hmm. grow their channel? It's it's a tough balance. And I think for everybody, it can be a little different depending on what your focus is. I mean, you've got streaming, you've got YouTubing, you've got hosting. So when you've got different things, and for me, I do a bunch of different things. So I'm not focusing on just one thing. But if you're a streamer, for example, say you're really good at Fortnite, then, you know, focus on Fortnite and and keep streaming that game. If your audience is, is based around that game, then stay focused on that game. But I mean, you have... I'm a variety streamer, for example, but again, I do so many different things, so it's hard for me to to really pinpoint one specific advice because it's going to be different for everybody. But sure. there's different ways like that. If you do variety type content, like on YouTube, for example, just try to upload something every day. Look for things that are trending, games that are trending, play those games. And I think there's a healthy balance between you want to play games that you enjoy, but you also 
have to play things that are going to get you exposure as well. When Among Us is popping, you better be playing it with your friends. Exactly. Because I mean, with myself, (laughs) dude, if I just wanted to play just what I wanted to play every single day, I would just be playing like the 90s Tomb Raider games almost every single day. But let's be real. That's that's not going to grow me that much. And lately, you know, I'll have like my little self-care periods because, you know, I've been in this industry for so long. Sometimes I just need like a couple months where it's just like, you know what, I'm just going to play just old school Tomb Raider. That's all I'm going to stream for like a month and just enjoy this. And then I'll be looking more into what's going to help me grow and stuff like that later. So Interesting, yeah. it's a balance because you you want to have that that healthy mindset. You want to be happy because you're not going to as a content creator, you can't just keep faking it if you're not happy. You know what I mean? So you want to be happy, but you yeah. also you also if you're going to try to grow, you really have to to look for those popular games and topics mm-hmm. that are going to get your name out there. Yeah, it's kind of an ebb and flow because you also need an identity too. Yeah. Right? You, like, it's not just like, oh, I'm League of Legends. Oh, I'm Fortnite. Right. Oh, I'm PUBG or whatever. So when you have that foundation, like you with your 90s Tomb Raider games, it's like, oh, going back to the basics or going back to that foundation. Mm-hmm. But then because it sounds like you're a variety streamer, it's not that uncommon for if people see you playing Fortnite or they see right. you playing Overwatch, it's not like, what? What is she chasing? You know, this isn't right. the Melanie Mac I know. <laughs> it's like, no, she's playing this game that a lot of people are talking about, and right. then kind of having that variety, that flexibility, I guess, mm-hmm. to go the direction that the audience and the viewership yeah. is going as well. And if your focus just purely on growth and that's it, like, then yeah, you want to find that one game that is working for you and stick with it, and you know. If I found a game that it's just like, oh, I'm just super good at this game and I'm like taking off. Yeah, I'd be sticking with it. I mean, you've seen some content creators who have been streaming for years and years and years. I mean, look at Valkyrie, for example. Like mm-hmm. she she streamed for a while and, and you know, stayed at that like high mid 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 high tier for a long time. And I, I remember watching her streams before when she was, you know, a lot smaller of a streamer. And then she just took off with Fortnite and blew yeah. up. And I'm like, good for her, you know, so it can happen if whether you're in the space, like brand new in the space or you've been in it for a while. And sometimes all it takes is finding that one game and you just happen to really take off with it. So that's a good point. So talk a little bit about what is it to be a content creator? All people see is stuff like this. There's a camera pointing at you Mm -hmm. or you're playing video games or GSTV, like you're talking about products and you're working off scripts and stuff. But What's behind that? And what are, what are some of the skill sets that you have found have, have made you really good at? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what helps me the most, and, and I've been doing this for so long, and there's so many things that I've tried to navigate and figure out. And there are times that, you know, especially if you just look at YouTube, you might look at, at how YouTubers, gaming YouTubers and stuff were like five years ago versus now, and it's different, you know? Yeah. And you know, used to, you had to like do quick jump cuts and, and quick, like three minute videos and try to make everything. And, and so for me, it was figuring out like, do I, how am I supposed to be, man? You know, sometimes it's just like, just be yourself. How do I do that? (laughs) (laughs) And and so I think that there's times in my, especially if you look at my old work and stuff, you can find times where I felt like I might've had to be like really spastic and like crazy. And, and not that that's not me at all, because sometimes I can be that, but it was almost like dialed up a lot. And yeah. so just trying to figure out how I'm supposed to be. And then these days, it's I, I like to just 
keep it real. And the more I find that I'm just being myself, then the more comfortable I am and the less of a grind that it actually feels like. Because if you're mm. actually, if you're on camera and you're, you're, you feel like you have to put on a performance, then it's extremely exhausting. Yes. But if you're just on there and you're being yourself, then you can maintain that a lot longer. So there's still a balance to it because if you're having a bad day, you don't want to bring all that into your content. I mean, there's some degree where you can share with your stream or whatever. I might tell people, yeah, you know, today was kind of rough, but you know, we're, we're going to get through it. Things are going to be okay. But I'm not going to, I, you know, I'm not going to bring all of yeah. all of my life's problems to my content. <laughs> so there's still a balance. Uh-huh. But ultimately, I find that the more you're able to just be comfortable and be yourself, then the the more you can succeed with it. Interesting. And how, how much of your time would you say that you're in front of a camera and how much are you, whether it's planning stuff or mm-hmm. writing stuff? What, what does that balance kind of look like? I'd say these days it's about 50-50, if not more behind the scenes, probably lately more behind the scenes because I spend so much of my time doing like working with sponsors and stuff. And I don't yeah. have an agent right now because like I said before, let's get her an agent, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I know, right? There's a lot of predatory stuff out there. And I find yeah. that agencies that I've that have tried to sign me and stuff lately, I've not liked their contracts and I've just they've been shady. So I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm fine managing myself right now. Good so for you, yeah. So I'm doing that. And so that's a lot. That takes a lot of my time. With GameStop, now I, I write my scripts as well as, cool. as uh, host them. So a lot of my time goes into researching the product or the game that I'm talking about and, and writing that and writing yeah. those scripts, getting the feedback and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, and then social media. Because I mean, that's also a huge part of you it. You got to market yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. And so... At the end of the day, it's just like it doesn't feel like work sometimes when you're just being yourself and you're just talking about your thoughts on something like, oh, I just watched this Attack on Titan episode. Let me talk about it, you know, and I'm all hyped yeah. about it. But at the end of the day, that's that's your brand still like what what you like and just your whole personality is your brand. So yeah. you sharing your opinions on this and being on social media. I mean, that's still work, you know, True. so a lot of that as well. And then just just going over analytics, figuring out what's working, what's not working. And yeah, just that balance, trying new things. And Mm. yeah. I love identifying those things behind the scenes, the other like skill sets and stuff. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm always, in fact, today I was talking to a parks and rec department in California. Yeah. And they're like, John, what does esports mean for us? Mm -hmm. And what I tell a lot of people is the negative as quote unquote negative aspects of gaming are obvious. Right. A lot of screen time, you're sitting down all the time. Right. You're not being active. Maybe you're being isolated, depending on if you're, yeah, you know, that's that's a that's a topic in itself, <laughs> right? Big time. Yeah. But what I always say is like, you know, there's a lot of positive aspects to gaming, mm-hmm. and you can't keep kids from gaming any anymore either, right? Because it's a social platform. It's like it's what they talk about in school and everything. Mm-hmm. So identify number one, what are the positive aspects? Like being part of a team. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of STEM curriculum stuff, but also. If with what you're doing, you're talking about writing your own scripts. Yeah. If somebody gets the opportunity, but they're not a great writer mm-hmm. or they haven't built out these skills that are also needed. Yeah. These kids are just thinking, oh, I just have to be pretty in front of a camera or whatever. <laughs> it's like, no, there's yeah. some real work and some hard skills that need to be developed here. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, it's like being a triple threat, right? The right. more that you can do, the more work you're going to get. And the, it, you know, if I hire you and it's like, hey, well, I don't need to get a script writer because I can mm-hmm. hire Melanie to also write the scripts right. and, you know, be on camera. Exactly. That's huge, right? Yeah. And I find that for myself, I mean, that's the reason why I'm able to do what I'm doing right now, because it's just like, if I were, I, I'm not focused on just one thing. Like if it were just streaming or whatever, like that's still that I, I feel like for me to just maintain just on stream alone, that would be a lot more difficult, but I've got my stream, my YouTube, my hosting stuff, my writing, all that. And so yeah. being able to do a number of things is, is why I've stayed relevant <laughs> as long as I have. And, and yeah. what's going to keep giving me more opportunities as well. And so that's something too, that I encourage people is don't just put all your eggs in one basket. You also don't mm. know when one platform is going to, fall for you. You know what I mean? Cause like I started on YouTube and mm. I diversified you now I do YouTube, Twitch hosting, and then also like social media stuff. I get social media campaigns. Like I had an Instagram on the other day. So it's just like, just a post on Instagram. Okay. That's helping pay the bills, you know? So having a bunch of different things is really what's going to help you out a lot. And I find that some people who are only focused on streaming yeah, especially those who are newer. And, you know, if you're like a huge streamer and you're making bank, OK, yeah, put your focus on that. But if you're trying and you're just just trying to get in your like you're just trying to get in this field, then yeah. only focusing on just stream, I don't think is the way I think you got to focus on your stream. You got to upload VODs and 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 montages on YouTube. You got to focus on your yeah. social media and, and something with especially smaller streamers in general, I find that is that social media is some of them only use it to promote their stream and that's it. And that's just a huge like misuse of, of your brand. Like you could really grow it so much more if there's some people who aren't going to always watch your stream or there's people who follow you on social media because they want to see you beyond just your stream. They want to see what you, what you're like, what you're thinking. They want to see just like your honest opinions on things. And so utilizing your social media platforms to be yourself and and share your honest opinions on, you know, games, anime, whatever it is you like, whatever it is you do, like let your audience get to know you better. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think when you look at business in general, the more revenue streams you can get, the better. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've tried to do in my own personal business that I started this year is you create a foundation because you need consistency with your brand like you were talking about, but the opportunity to be flexible Mm -hmm. enough. So I've kind of, I do consulting with brands and agencies and I do some public speaking and then I do this podcast and then I deal with certain brands, helping them get connected to the right people and stuff. And for me, it's kind of like, okay, let me just figure out path of least resistance. I don't want to spread myself too thin. Yeah. Now, you, you're going to have to work hard when you're starting something anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's like, let me put out enough lines in the water that I think could go somewhere. Yep. And then the one that starts to go, you spend more time there. Yep. And if a couple of them go, then maybe you have to cut one. But you're like, OK, great. I can make money here. I can make money here. Yeah, exactly. Right? And you see the people who have done that. And sometimes it's like, hey, one title kicks off. OK, now I'm just streaming. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or maybe you hire some people to help you with the VODs or something right. like that and help expand. But that's really interesting. How Since we have this similar experience with GameStop, I've been on the other side. I was mostly yeah. focusing on partnerships, but for a while I ran the Sony and Microsoft stuff. So 
I saw like, oh, we need to give this for to GSTV. We need to highlight it on GSTV. Mm-hmm. You know, probably most people who are listening to this have seen you in a GameStop store up on the wall. Talk a little bit about what that experience is like. It's a little different being with a retailer versus maybe mm-hmm. just doing your own content. Yeah. But what are kind of the the different aspects of that. It's a lot different. I think that it's funny because sometimes some of my followers get a little confused with things because they might say, I've gotten some feedback on social media where they'll say, hey, I watched you talk about this game, but all you did was talk good about it. You didn't share any opinions about things you don't like about it. And it's like, well, because this isn't my personal channel. <laughs> We're trying to sell We're this game. This game sucks. Let me right? tell you why. Yeah. You're like GameStop TV isn't a review or an opinionated you know, piece of media here. This is at the end of the day, GameStop's a retailer that sells games and we talk about the games and sell them. So at the same time, I, you know, the thing that's great about them is they, they tell us, us hosts, they always say like, don't, don't say you like a game. If you don't like it, we don't want you to lie. We don't want you to, you know what I mean? So for me, it's just like, I'll, I'll stick to, the facts about the game or, or the product or, hey, this is what this is about. And, you know, the viewers watching can decide if that appeals to them, if they want to buy it or whatever. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, it's it's totally different than your own personal stuff. And on my personal stuff, I'm streaming or or even if I'm making a YouTube video, half the time I'm in sweatpants and a tank top, like my PJs, essentially. You sure. know, if I'm a, but if I'm hosting something for GameStop, then I've got to be more professional, yeah. you know, and I've got to act more professional and talk more professional. So it's a completely different. That's a great point. Dynamic for sure. It's like this is me going to going to work versus. Yeah. Hey, you guys are watching me at in my home just chilling like like we're friends, you know, it's a totally different dynamic. Yeah, I I talk a lot about adaptability, and I, I think it's so important, number one, communication. There's written communication, there's verbal communication. But to be able to relate to people in the way mm-hmm. that they receive it and they give it. And I, I did a photo shoot the other day, and it was, you know, half of it was in suits. Yep. The other half I was skating. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in my my streetwear gear. Shout out Alt Esports Apparel, All right. by the way. My favorite <laughs> brand. And just, you know, I'm in some meetings where I got to be in a suit. Mm-hmm. And I'm in some meetings where it's like, what's up, dog? You know, yep. how are you doing? Let's go hit the skate park. Mm-hmm. You know, talk a, lot, a little bit about how you've kind of developed both just being the homie, but also... Right. professional and going back and forth. Yeah. It's funny because when I first started like YouTube and all that, I felt like I had to be that professional Mm -hmm. that you would be in like the work field. And especially since that's what I wanted to do as a job. So I felt like I had to be that. And then as time went on and I kept making content, I realized that, hey, this is separate. I need to just be myself. Like, how would I Mm -hmm. act if if I was just chilling with my friends? And and that's how. I like to act on my streams, on my YouTube videos and stuff like that. And so I've learned. And that's the thing is, is it's hard to to get comfortable enough to just be yourself when you when you know that people are watching you and all that. So it takes time. And I think at the end of the day, just keep doing it. And for anybody who's trying to learn how to develop that, because it's it's a skill to be yourself when you've yeah. got an unnatural setting around you, you know? Good point. And so as you keep doing it, then you'll be be more comfortable. And I feel like I've got to a point now to where when I when I do turn stream on, it's like I, I'm able to let loose and 
and actually be myself, be myself. And and it's yeah. taken years to get there, but it's just something that you'll, that you'll learn as you do it. And so someone else might be opposite though. Someone else might be comfortable being themselves, but then if they're in a professional environment, and I've seen that, I've seen that with, with streamers who have like <laughs> yeah, streamers who have like their first time doing a hosting type thing and they're freaking out. They're like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm not used to like having to be all professional and, and what all do I this do with around. My hands? Yeah. What do I do with my hands and all this? So it's different depending on the person. Everyone's going to have things that they're more, more comfortable with or not. And I don't know, I guess for me, I had like a customer service background and stuff in the past. Okay. Uh, I, I worked at Best Buy before doing customer service. I do. Yeah. I worked retail. I worked at a bank before. And so I had like experience with customer service in general. So I, I know how to be professional and I need to be. Mm. And so I think that's what helped me. But yeah, it's totally different things. And, and both of them take practice and you're not going to be a, a star at it overnight, but yeah. it just takes practice. I think there's a lot of power in embracing yourself, being comfortable in your own skin. Yeah. I think, you know, we all see our, our weaknesses or whatever mm-hmm. ourselves and we kind of sometimes can fear like, oh, other people are going to see that I'm not as great as they think I am or you, or you don't have the, the confidence that other people have in you. Right. A long time ago, I used to feel that is like everybody was confident in me, but I wasn't confident right. in myself. And the, the thing that I think and might be a takeaway for the audience is like, who you are, you're better at that than anyone in the yep. world. And I heard Hector Rodriguez talk about this. He's a well-known content creator in the Call of Duty community, CEO of Optic Gaming. And he said, Usain Bolt, the sprinter, mm-hmm. is the fastest man alive. Right. Right. And he's a household name across the globe because he did what he was the best in the world at. Mm-hmm. Funny thing is, after his sprinting career, he's gotten into soccer. And he's pretty good because he's the fastest dude on the field. Mm-hmm. But he's not messy or anybody like, he's he's not the best in the world. And it's like, think about if Usain Bolt had become just a soccer player. Right. Almost nobody would know who he was. Mm -hmm. He'd just be one of the guys on the team. Yep. But this guy did what he was the best in the world at. What are you the best in the world at? Mm -hmm. And to figure that out, the first step is for you to embrace who you are naturally and say, this is who I am. Let's go. And then you figure out, okay, business, content, whatever, like how can I utilize this? But once you have that mind space and that confidence, Mm -hmm. it can really take you so far, a lot farther than you would think it can. And I think self-awareness is so important too, because I mean, everybody's flawed, nobody's perfect. And just being aware of your own shortcomings and and being okay with it. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things that, that, that might always be something for you. Okay. Like, I can be a little clumsy or I'm, I'm awkward sometimes. It's just like, okay, this is me. This is who I am. Own it, right? I, own it. Yeah, exactly. And I find that, especially with content creators and influencers and things like that, the reason why people love them so much and gravitate towards them is because they are flawed human beings, regular human beings. Relatability. So, exactly. Like, oh, yeah. You're like me in a way. Exactly. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. we don't, if, if we're watching like a streamer or something, you don't always, you don't want to just turn on a stream and just see someone who's perfect in absolutely every way. You can't relate to them. And you, and honestly, it's people's shortcomings. It's their flaws. It's their quirks that make them so charming. And so be self-aware enough to know your own quirks, your own like awkwardness or whatever it may be, and Uh just embrace it. That's who you are. And it's okay. It's great. That's a really great point. Now you've worked with sponsors quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a lot of brands and agencies and, you know, everybody knows that this community, the gaming community, the esports community, skeptical of brands. 
Right. Right. From the outside, yep. not endemics. Can you talk a little bit of how you've seen brands success be successful in the space or, you know, kind of, I don't know, give a little bit direction of like, mm-hmm. definitely don't do this. Right. Or you want to do this. I know authenticity is the, the overused word that you mm-hmm. hear all the time. But I always say, if you can understand what the community wants, right. but can't attain from themselves, and your brand gives that to them, mm-hmm. maybe it's a better experience at an event. Yeah. Maybe it's super cool content they resonate with. Maybe it's in-game DLC, you know, skins, mm-hmm. whatever. There's a variety of different ways to do it, but I'd love to hear your experience yeah. since you've been on the talent side of that. I think the more freedom that the brand gives the creator to be authentic and to that, like the better, because whenever, mm-hmm. and I've worked with like different sponsors and different brands are different. Some of them are a lot more strict than others, but some of them, they want to give you like almost a script to put as like your caption for your, like if I make an Instagram post, <laughs> yeah. new, they want everything worded with this, with like 5 million hashtags and everything to sound like super professional and, and brandy. And that never goes well. The more freedom I get and the more I can just express myself, then the more people are going to see that it's, okay, this is something I can genuinely use. But if, if you just sound like a corporate commercial, then they're not going to be into it. What's the point in even hiring an influencer? It's going to hurt both of you too, right? Yeah, exactly. It hurts the brand too because yeah. they're not going to get the the feedback that they want on it and they're not going to get the ROI from it. So it's just like, what's the point in even hiring an influencer if you're going to make them like might as well just hire an actor if you're going to have them to say word for word a very corporate sounding thing so the point of an influencer is that people relate to them and so you want them to be able to convey that message as authentically as possible and, and how they would so yeah definitely the more freedom that i have with brands to to do what i want to do and the better. And I know like an example I can think of is the Galaxy Note 20. Like I had a sponsorship with them. They sent me a phone and they let me have a lot of freedom with it. They were like, okay, yeah, you want, we just want this many posts and, you know, a couple hashtags that they wanted. But other than that, I had the freedom to do what I wanted with it. And I thought, okay, what's something that I think is cool about this phone genuinely? Oh, I like to draw so I can draw on it. And I drew like a picture of Catwoman. And I, one of my posts was me sharing my picture that I drew of Catwoman. And it's like, people loved it because it's genuine. This is something that I legitimately thought was really cool about this phone. And I was able to share that and, and, have fun with it and be authentic about it. Yeah, and you're expressing your creativity in a natural way that mm-hmm. the people who follow you know that you like to draw. Yep. And they know that's you drawing it. It's yep. not like some creative exactly. director at Samsung handed you a phone with Catwoman <laughs> like take a picture of yeah. this and say I like to draw. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I always say the the script for the influencer is an oxymoron because mm-hmm. like the reason that you're doing influencer marketing in the first place is you don't know how to talk to a brand. Right. And this person has a following because of what they naturally do. Yep. Don't change that. Tap into that. Yep. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, working with talent from the brand side, this is a message for sponsors, is when you give them more flexibility, mm-hmm. when they're having more fun doing it, yep. they're going to be easier to work with. Yep. They're going to want to work with you again. Mm-hmm. Hey, I mean, everybody should get paid fairly, but you also might get a little better of a deal because it's like, it's like if you're fun to work with, hey, I'm going to enjoy this or this is going to suck. You're going to tell me what to do. I better get paid. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Well, you talked earlier about all these different platforms. The algorithm Mm -hmm. is something that's super 
it's super crazy. It's always changing on LinkedIn. I'm aware of it because that's yeah. my main platform for business. Mm -hmm. But talk a little bit about that from the content creator side of what do you guys experience with these algorithms changing all the time on social platforms? It's tough. It's tough to keep up. And that's that's one reason why I think it's so good to diversify and to, to be a part of everything, because sometimes you might be struggling with one algorithm like YouTube, for example. And that's one thing. YouTube used to be my main thing. Well, then the algorithm changed a lot. And for me, being more of a variety person, YouTube kind of shifted more towards they like channels to be very streamlined and focused on one thing. Yeah. And that's not me at all. I saw you post about that the other day. You're yeah. like, YouTube just wants me to the, you know, YouTube's be Tomb Raider already, only. Like, it, it, it thinks my channel is a Tomb Raider channel. Like only, and the, yeah. So when I make Tomb Raider content, it'll like push that out pretty well. But anything else, like it won't. So if I, it almost is encouraging me to only make Tomb Raider content. You know, I, I you know, as much as I'd love to do that, I that's, that's not going to be trending as much as a lot of other stuff. So anyway, sure. so... For example, if that were to happen, but then like, okay, Instagram, I'm taking off pretty well on Instagram right now, for example, or, or just something random like that to where having a bunch of different things really helps. But you also have to try to figure out the algorithm and work with it because, I mean, there are people who who have adapted and changed their content strategies like on YouTube, yeah. for example, and they've really thrived with that. And that's great. But having a bunch of different platforms and trying to figure them out. But then at the same time, you also have that balance of like, don't like do a bunch of different things, but don't let yourself get to a point to where you're like losing sleep over it. Because if you're just so obsessed uh. with algorithms all the time <laughs> and I've been there, man, like it can be tough and it can be so stressful. So it's like still don't forget to have fun in this job, yeah. you know, don't forget to have fun. But you you do have to pay attention to algorithms and stuff. But yeah. the more you're doing a bunch of different things and the more you're trying different things and going with what's working, the better. And mm. you just got to try to adapt, but find that balance between, OK, let's figure this out. And also you want to still be having fun. Yeah, I have a I'm not a influencer or a content creator by any stretch of the imagination, mm -hmm. but, you know, I, I do content each day on LinkedIn. Right. And so my goal there is like be positioned as a thought leader. So, mm -hmm. you know, people see me all the time. It's like, okay, this brand or this agency is trying to figure something out. You got to talk to John, right? right? That's the end goal. Mm -hmm. Some, and I'm curious, I'm not saying I do it right. So I'm curious if your take on okay. it is I know that some right now on LinkedIn, still images do a lot better than videos. Okay. But I think it's, helpful sometimes just to even to switch it up even mm. if it's not specifically with the algorithm right that people aren't getting the exact same mm -hmm. type of content that it's like oh john switched it up here's a video yeah oh here's a little audiogram from the dlc drop podcast yeah oh here's a image like a text image sort of a thing mm -hmm. what is your kind of like how are you doing that on your yeah, variety i think of social that's skills? good because i mean variety is good people like to see variety and you you want to Again, it's a balance because you still want what's good for the algorithm, but you also want what's good for your followers to see. Yes. And you still got to prioritize them. You can't just like throw them all under the bus just for algorithm. And so, True. I mean, this is something with like Instagram as well, for example, is reels are there. Instagram's pushing reels, man. So yes. if you make reels, then they're going to reach a lot more people versus like maybe a story would. But your followers mm -hmm. followed you. They like your stories, too. So you still want to put out different types of content and you want to still put out stuff. You don't, you just don't want to, I, I personally think that it's best not to just 
only just aggressively focus on the one thing that's just working right now because yeah. first of all a month six months a year from now that it's going to be different anyway uh-huh. and also you do have to pay attention to like your own following too and you want to give them the entertainment that's not just only algorithm based feels kind of fake to me too like when you're just like algorithm yeah. jumping when yeah. it's like oh that's john's doing all these dlc drop videos oh now it's images so now it's just a different right. text image every day i i feel like people can kind of yep. sense when you're like clout chasing the algorithm yeah exactly <laughs> and that's a thing too and then that's just like you still want to be authentic and you want to to be true to yourself and share things that you like to share. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe put a little more focus that you otherwise wouldn't on what's working with the algorithm, but don't just like ch- necessarily put all your focus on just chasing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, one last thing I want to get out of you today before we let you go. And that is being a content creator, being a host, being a YouTuber. What is your favorite thing about the job or, or, or the being an entrepreneur? Like, what is right. it about your job and you do so many different things but that you say, or maybe it's a couple things that you say, man, this is my favorite thing about it. This is why I do this and will continue to do it. Yeah, I think for me, a couple things, but part of it is is being a part of a world that that I care so much about, like in the, with the gaming industry in general and being able to do things and experience things like behind the scenes or or, you know, there's certain, like, for example... With some of my favorite gaming franchises ever, I've gotten opportunities to where behind closed doors, I've been able to consult on some things. And it's just like, wow, this is like one of my favorite franchises of all time. And like this really helped shape me as a human being ever since I was a kid. And I get to help be a part of even if nobody even knows it. Like I got to help be a part of this part of it. Things like that to where it's like a dream come true. But then also, I think just the people, man, like Mm. I know from my streams and stuff, like when there are times like, you know, life comes at you. Life happens to all of us. Like terrible things happen sometimes. And there are times that that, you know, life has happened. And then I just being able to turn on my stream and have my viewers be I don't even have to bring it up, but just them being there and and being my friends. It's just like it feels like you have friends around the world and and. It just really keeps you going through the hard times, especially. Mm. So I think that's one of the most gratifying things is it's like, wow, there are people who actually care about me and want to see me happy. And it's just an amazing thing. Wow. And it speaks to community, right? Yeah. And I think 20, boy, 2020, none of us were able to get together in person, really. Right. You're, everybody's leaning way more into the streams and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think if if last year showed me anything, it was just, how important community is, whether it's in person or virtual, just to be able to get around each other, support each other, relate to each other Mm -hmm. and have a good time regardless what's going on in the world. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing about these communities too with streamers is like, it's, it's not just you helping them or them helping you. It's also them among each other because they become friends with each other as well. And I find that when in my community there, it's like a a little family in, in a way. And so yeah. just seeing, I'll, I'll pop in on Discord and see them all talking with each other and gaming together, even whether I'm gaming with them or not. And I think it's wonderful. I just think it's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I could talk to you forever. Yeah. <laughs> I can keep going and going and going, but I, I so appreciate you being here. What are the places that people can find you, whether it's mm-hmm. on social or... Um... Yeah. You can find me on YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all under Melanie Mac. 
All under oh, Melanie TikTok Mac. TikTok as well. I've been trying to use that more. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I try. It's funny because you can just do random stuff on there. I did a, a video where I just did my gardening and made a little quick thing of, I was like, hey, I'm having to do this gardening anyway. Let yeah. me let me make a video out of it. And people like it. I'm like, wow, this is cool. It feels like old YouTube. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. It's fun. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast, Melanie Mac. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.